0: Welcome to Orange Crest Community Church and occathome.com. We are so glad you're here. At OCC, our mission is to invite people to take their next steps with Jesus. And so we pray that through our time together, you're encouraged and challenged to move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to Orange Crest Community Church. I'm Pastor Josh Delarosa and we're in a series of messages on trouble and how it suddenly strikes us. And we're we're wrestling with questions that really run deep in us and have really plagued mankind for as long as we can remember. And so last week we launched this series and we began looking at a series of questions. The first question we looked at last week was this question. Why does God allow so much suffering? And today what I want to do is I want to focus on this question right here. Why do bad things happen to good people? You've probably heard that question asked. This is generally a challenge to God. Why Why would a good God let anything like this happen to me? Why do bad things happen to good people? I'm going to look at that today. The next couple weeks we're going to be looking at, we're going to flip that around and ask some other questions like, why do good things happen to bad people? And then we'll look finally at, is there a ticket out of trouble? Like what's the way out of all of this? So I hope you'll keep coming and, and checking out these messages. All these questions really impact us as people on at least two two different levels. First, these questions about trouble impact us intellectually. You know, we struggle to really understand when trouble strikes, we're haunted with so many questions. And then and then the second area is it impacts us emotionally. We're really brought to our knees, often with this whole area whenever you receive a phone call uh, that you didn't want, you weren't expecting, and you get this horrible news. Uh, you know, I, I, I've been there before. I see uh, a person trying to reach me, and they'll try over and over, and I, and I think to myself, oh no. Why didn't they text me? Why are they continuing to call? You know, whenever we're talking about tragedy or sickness, whether chronic sickness or or terminal illness, or divorce that comes sudden, or or termination, job loss, some calls I just find myself sort of just sort of bracing for impact. Now, this week, even Tuesday, I received one of those types of calls. Unexpectedly, even accidentally, someone called me by accident, left me a message, and I called them back, and, and they had tragedy strike their life suddenly. And they intended to call someone else, but as God would have it, they called me. And it, it involved deep, deep pain. And as I talked to this person on the phone, uh, I, I can only imagine the pain that this, this lady was going through. And if, if you in your life, tomorrow, were to receive a call like that or, or a knock at the door and it's a friend in tears and you know something must have gone terribly, terribly wrong, Like what what would you do? What would you say? What I want to do is I want to look at a situation like that in the Bible. So I want to introduce you to a man named Job. You find this book in the almost the middle of the Bible. It's in the Old Testament of the Bible, but Job uh, chapter 1. I want to introduce you to his life through the first chapter of this book. It's actually 42 chapters, but let's look at just the first one, and then I'll kind of move around and and uh, walk through aspects of this book. So Job 1, verse 1, there was a man in the country of Uz of, named Job. He was a man of complete integrity who feared God and turned away from evil. So he was blameless. He was upright. He feared God. He He took God seriously, in other words. When it says he feared God, it meant he he didn't play games. He took him seriously. He stayed on track with his life. Verse two: He had seven sons and three daughters. Verse three: His estate included seven thousand sheep and goats, three thousand camels, five hundred yoke of oxen, five hundred female donkeys, and a very large number of servants. Uh, Job was the greatest man. Get that? The greatest man among all the people of the East. It says that essentially he he's a standout guy, clearly. And so what we have in the story is we have a really good man and he happens to be a very, very wealthy man as well. Every one of us would have looked at Job's life and thought, he has got it made. No way this guy is going to experience the kind of trouble that I faced because he's got his life together. If only I was like Job, then I wouldn't have any problems. I mean just look at him. You know the scripture says here that he had this huge family, ten kids. Uh, you see this vintage photo here, and and this is sort of common for old family photos. Vintage large families were common in in you know in olden days, uh, and but nowadays you, usually there's really small families. Well, back in way back in the day, when Job lived, he had a, he had a large family as well. It Says ten, ten kids, seven thousand sheep and goats, essentially uh this he had this uh he had food he had resources he had trading power because he had this giant flock of sheep and goats uh, that's pretty powerful uh it says that he had 3000 camels this was like owning a fleet like you you aren't getting anywhere fast on a camel but you're going somewhere and so he had a fleet of camels 3000 camels okay this represents transportation so think about that uh, he probably it's almost like he could run his own hertz rental camel business you know he could just rent camels out and I mean three thousand camels that's a lot of camels it says five hundred yoke of oxen so this represented food milk and equipment because oxen are strong animals that can be used to plow fields for farming so again it's not just that he liked animals no he 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 used these animals for certain purposes it also says five hundred female donkeys. And so more transportation, donkeys could carry equipment. Um, They could carry produce, uh, people, uh, uh, commodities that were being traded. Donkeys could carry things. And so more transportation, the ability to trade, an even larger fleet. So, you know, he's got two models for his rental business to choose from. You got the sports car donkeys, you got the sedan camel. So he just Again, this is describing how much this man has. also says a very large number of servants. So Job had no shortage of people to work in his fields and oversee this whole operation. So, And from what we can see in verse 1, he's not just a wealthy man, but he's a good man. It's very clear he had lots of wealth, but he was blameless. He was a man of real integrity. And so clearly God had blessed this man. Verse 4, his sons used to take turns having banquets at their homes. They would send an invitation to their three sisters to eat and drink with them. Whenever a round of banqueting was over, Job would send for his children and purify them, rising early in the morning to offer burnt offerings for all of them. For Job thought, perhaps my children have sinned, having cursed God in their hearts, and says this was his, was Job's regular practice. And so, Job's children would throw these raging parties and you know what can sometimes happen when there's alcohol involved sometimes people cross lines sometimes people don't even know what they're doing sometimes they have no memory of what they did at that at that gathering at that party and you know there's no shortage of comedy movie plots that follow this sort of scenario here uh, but for a father this is heartbreaking and it's disconcerting and so his his practice the scripture says was to offer sacrifices to God to cover over the sin of his children. What they did intentionally, he wanted to make sure that was covered before the Lord. Or even unintentionally, when they were drunk and they had no recollection, he's just trying to cover all the bases through his regular sacrifices for his kids. That's Job. Now verse 6. One day, the sons of God... This is another way to refer to, uh, the, to, to uh, spiritual beings. The sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord... And Satan also came with them. So this is a gathering of of demonic who have been hurled to the earth. And we looked at this last week. Revelation 12, verse 10, actually, you can check that out. It talks about how the demonic that were hurled to the earth to tempt and to destroy still can accuse before God. And so uh, they come, this group comes, the accusers come to uh, bring their cases to God, present themselves before the Lord, and Satan has come with them. And it says, And Satan also came with them. The Lord asked Satan, Where have you come from? Satan replies, From roaming the earth, through the earth, Satan answered, and walking around on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? So Satan's name you know, and his role is to accuse. He accuses. And so, have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a perfect, man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. Uh, Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? He knew about Job. Does Job fear you, God, for nothing? Essentially, he has good reasons to follow you. He has good reasons to trust you. And he says in verse 10, haven't you placed a hedge around him, his household and everything he owns? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he owns, and he will surely curse you to your face. Satan is essentially saying, God, take away all of that good and all of that prosperity, and he will certainly turn his back on you. What this is, is this is Satan accusing. Verse 12 Very well, the Lord's told Satan, everything he owns is in your power. So he gives him permission. However, do not lay a hand on Job himself. So Satan left the Lord's presence. Now, we mentioned last week, and if you weren't uh, watching last week, uh, check out that message last week we looked at. Why is there so much suffering in the world? Like, where do all these problems and trouble and suffering come from? Well, what we discovered in the scripture was one of the sources of evil and suffering comes from the supernatural realm. We have a very real, a very aggressive, and a very active enemy. And God sets the limits on him. And you see that here in this passage. God permitting Satan uh, to bring attack upon Job, to test him. Well, verse 13. One day when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine and their oldest brother's House, a messenger came to Job and reported. Here's the report. While the oxen were ploughing and the donkeys grazing nearby, the Sabeans swooped down and took them away. They took the donkeys, took the oxen. They struck down the servants with the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. So the donkeys, your herd of donkeys, your herd of oxen, they've been taken by the Sabeans. So trouble strikes suddenly. Verse 16. He was still speaking when another messenger came and reported. God's fire fell from heaven. It burned the sheep and the servants and devoured them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. So fire comes out of the heavens and consumes the sheep and some of the servants. And things are just unraveling. Verse 17. That messenger was still speaking when yet another came and reported that Chaldeans formed three bands, made a raid on the camels and took them away. They struck Down the servants with the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. So the camels are now stolen by the Chaldeans. More servants died in this raid, and then finally, verse 18, he was still speaking when another messenger came and reported Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Suddenly, a powerful wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on the young people so that they died, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Essentially, Job, your children, they're all gone. They're all dead. Now, what would you do? I mean, this is one of, I think, the most heartbreaking stories in all the Bible to read. His sons and his daughters. Those ones who he loved, he kept them up all night when they were having their parties. They weren't making good choices. But these are his children. And, and I've received these types of calls from parents. Maybe you have as well. What do you, what do you say? What do you do if, you, if you're Job? And then in verse 20 says then Job he gets this news and he just is it breaks him. Then Job stood up, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, he fell to the ground and he worshiped saying, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will leave this life. It's all been taken. I'm I'm barren, I'm this my life has been stripped away in a sense. But then he says that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He doesn't curse God. He doesn't understand at this point what's going on. All he knows is he has lost everything, but he hasn't lost his faith. And it says in verse 22, throughout all this, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. Now, Job is 42 chapters. You're going to have to read this in full. I encourage you to read it if you've never read the book or maybe throw it on the Audible and listen to the story of Job. And I'm going to just tell you Pretty much the rest of the story, what we see is we watch the aftermath of this event. Uh, this goes on, and, and actually, one of the first things that happens to Job is Satan goes back to God, presents himself again, and Satan declares, yeah, Job is still holding on to his integrity. He's still holding on to his faith. Uh, but if you strike him, if you, if you strike his flesh and bones, He'll curse you to your face, God. There's gotta be a limit on this man, Job. He still has his life, he still has his health. God gives Satan permission to now strike Job's health. And so, he gets inflicted, the scripture says. He gets inflicted with boils and sores, and he is just in extreme pain. He's lost everything, and now he's, he's got something wrong physically. He's being physically afflicted. And, and so, It just goes from bad, I mean horrible, to even worse. And so I want to encourage you to read where this goes. But here's a summary of the aftermath. The first thing is Job starts processing with his friends who've come uh, to offer comfort. And so he starts starts processing with his friends. Uh, Three guys come. If you read this, you'll read about uh, how they come and they sit with him. And then eventually they start talking to him and start trying to unravel what went wrong. So they, they're there to offer comfort, and he starts processing, and they're asking him questions. And it starts out pretty positive, but eventually it becomes an interrogation. What would you do? What would you do, Job, to deserve this? Uh, and so uh, they start challenging, and some are trying to defend him, and some are convinced he must have done something wrong. And, you know, they're there to provide comfort, but also they sense the need to start giving him answers and and to give perspective. And so, but they take it all too far. They go too far. And Job begins to defend himself. And he begins to um, start questioning things. And his questions go in the wrong direction. And eventually, in Job chapter 38, God instructs Job on who he really is. And God speaks to Job. You can read that. Later, Job reaffirms his trust in God and he watches God rebuild his life over time. Once God speaks to him uh and corrects some of Job's thinking. Uh Job repents. He started he starts changing his thoughts and he gets his thoughts back on track and he just reaffirms, "God, I trust you. I trust what you're doing." And and he begins to see God rebuild and restore his life. Now, this story, there's a lot of questions we have about the story of Job and uh, but you have to read it. So you have to read it full for yourself. And it really highlights some things. One, it highlights this question that, that often does come up. Like, why do bad things happen to good people? Like, why did this really happen to Job? So why does it happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, I would say the answer to that question is actually they don't. I mean, there's an assumption here in this question. We assume that we're all pretty good. Oh, you're good? Really? Really? Well, here's what the scripture actually teaches. We looked at this last week. But the earth is full of imperfect and sinful people since the fall of man. This is the condition we find ourselves. We're not not good, perfect people. We're imperfect, sinful people. King Solomon wrote this. He said, There is certainly no one righteous on the earth who does good and never sins. This is the king. This is a declaration he's made. Jesus taught this in the New Testament. He taught a man who he thought... This man thought he was exceptional. He comes to Jesus. He asks Jesus some questions. And Jesus makes this statement, no one is good except God alone. Paul, first century church leader, he made this point. Quoting from the, the book of Psalm uh, uh, 14, Psalm fourteen, Romans chapter 3 reads this, as it is written, there is no one righteous, Paul writes, not even one. There's not even a righteous person, no perfect person. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God on their own. All have turned away All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. So we see from the Old Testament into the New Testament, this declaration that uh, the, the earth is full of imperfect people, sinful people, since the fall of man, since the sin of Adam. We looked at that last week. Again, you're going to want to check out message one in this series. I think most of us would agree, but this question really does stir us up. Like, why would God allow such bad things, though, to happen to such good people? This question here really is a its a challenge towards the goodness of God. It's an assault on his character. The enemy, Satan, he gets involved in stirring up this assault to try to get people to turn away from God. But, but if we genuinely or honestly look in the mirror, I think most of us honestly realize that we aren't all that good. I mean, we look in the mirror and we look closely and we start seeing our flaws. So I think what we really mean is, well, when we say good, what we really mean is not that bad, or at least I'm not as bad as that guy over there. We measure ourselves up against other people, and generally their worst days. Well, think about your worst days. I think about my worst days, and I think, yikes, it can get pretty dark pretty quickly. I mean, all of us have this propensity towards sin, evil, selfishness, pride, and so so based on what the scripture teaches, I think a more accurate statement relating to people, and even this question of bad things happening to good people, I think this is really the question. Bad things happen, uh, it's a statement here, bad things happen to imperfect people. That's really all of us. We're all imperfect people. And as we looked at last week, we live now, because of sin, we live in a fallen world. And our sin has separated us from God. It has brought severe and painful consequences, and God can use bad things in our lives for good. We may never fully know how, and to a certain degree, it's it's sort of I would say above our comprehension level, which is what God talks to about uh, to Job about. And and you know if you look in Job thirty-eight through forty-one, you'll actually see this. God corrects his thinking and helps him understand that. God thinks on another level. He has a different plan. He's working out his plans in the world. And we're just limited. We don't have the understanding that God has. And so in reality, life is full of pain, of trouble, of difficulty. And through it all, God is weaving a tapestry together for eternity. And we only see the backside of it in this life. I don't know if you've ever seen a tapestry before. Here's a Picture of a tapestry. Uh, but tapestries are beautiful, but you got to be looking at it from the, from the front side. If you swing around back of the tapestry and you see it just looks like a big mess, everything tied together, everything is... You see, you can't see it. You might see sort of... You might be able to piece together what you think is on the front, but you need to come around the front. Well, God, through our trouble, He's weaving together a tapestry. There's a lot of mess that we walk through. There's a lot of difficulty, a lot of piecing life together uh, he's weaving our lives together to produce something for all eternity. Now, if, if you and I, if we don't turn to God in the midst of our pain, if you're Joe, if you don't turn to God, uh, you miss a handful of things. You miss his comfort. We think that this is all bad, only bad, and it's all a waste. In fact, that's where the world wants you to stop and just give up on God altogether. Once trouble strikes, the world will say, see, God doesn't care. And that's what the enemy's play was here. God, if you just strike him with everything that's precious to him, his children, his possessions, and his own life, he'll turn his back on you. In fact, this is what Charles Darwin said. He said this, that there is so much suffering in the world no one disputes, you know, no, one, no one argues, which is, more, which is more likely, that pain and evil are the result of an all-powerful and good God or the product of uncaring natural forces. He says, the presence of much suffering agrees well with the, with the view that all organic beings have been developed through variation and natural selection. So Darwin concludes, I'd rather be an an atheist. At least, you know, then I could just, I can, that satisfies my, my intellectual and emotional questions that come up when trouble strikes. There must, there must be no God because there's no purpose. And so these things that happen that are painful, yes. But they're all by chance. And that was the conclusion. But here's what God says. God says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. All things includes all of our trouble, all of our pain, all of our suffering. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. You know, trouble, even the most painful aspects of suffering, can be redemptive in some way. And purposeful. If you put your faith in God, they can be purposeful. Otherwise, what happens is we walk through pain and trouble, and then if we don't really turn to God, bad things really are just bad things. If we have no other way of looking at things, if I'm in pain and I really have no knowledge of God, no knowledge of eternity, uh, no understanding of that there's a way to know God in the person of Jesus Christ, then all of our pain just seems to be pointless. It seems to have no purpose But God sent his son Jesus to earth so that we could have a rescuer. Someone who would come to deliver us from our pain. Our ultimate judgment and secure a place with God for us in eternity in heaven. So that one day my final breath and your final breath here can be a gateway into life eternal. Where there is no pain, where there is no suffering, no sorrow, no death. Now, if you have never put your faith in Christ, would you let us know if you'd like to learn more about following Christ? And we would love to sort of answer some questions, share with you more about how to become a Christ follower, a Christian. You can let us know on your connection card. Now, whenever we're in pain, whenever trouble strikes, there's some possible responses, places we might go. And so let's just look at those from, uh, from Scripture. First, uh, we can get bitter. We see this. We see this. We can get bitter and resentful, believing that, that God is... That my trouble is, is undeserved and, and unfair. So look at uh, Job chapter 6, verse 4. He's he's processing with his friends. He answers one of his friends' questions. And, and Job says this, Surely the arrows of the Almighty have pierced me. My spirit drinks their poison. God's terrors are arrayed against me. He makes this statement. He's like, I'm under fire right now. I, uh, and... and this statement right here, God's terrors are arrayed against me. I mean, there's not too many steps from that point uh, to bitterness, if you want to go there. Now, he doesn't go there right here. But very quickly, we can think, why, why are you taking this out on me, God? So there's not a lot of steps from these types of statements to, to to bitterness, to resentment. And sadly, what I found is this: this is one of the options that many people choose after getting just buffeted, a wave after wave of trouble. So there's the bitterness response. Second response, some people just walk away from God. They walk away. Now this creates more consequences, really magnifying the ripple effect uh, on our lives. But like for example, Job 2 verse 9, after all of this unfolds and he is struck with sickness, this is what his wife, Job's wife said to him, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. Are you, are you still trying to walk with God carefully? Now, you have to feel for Job and his wife. They, they lost everything. They lost their children. But his wife comes alongside him. Are you, just, are you trying to walk with God carefully? I know you're a man of integrity and blameless, but just curse God and die. Why hold on to your faith any longer? Because it would be tempting at this point to just turn away, to walk away for good. Now, that's one place, and you may have seen people walk through life with God. Maybe they're raised in the church, and then they hit this point of trouble, and it's a crisis of their faith, and they peel off, and they they just reject God altogether and walk away, go their own direction. Now, here's another response. This is where Job eventually landed. You can trust God. You're in trouble, you're in pain, you're in suffering, you're walking through something. You can trust God in humility. In humility, waiting for him to restore. Uh, you actually need to read, again, the book of, of Job. Read all the way till the last chapter to see where this ends up. I'm going to give you a sneak peek on most of what happens at the end. Job eventually gets restored. So let's look at Job 42. God speaks to him. God corrects some of his thinking. God corrects Job's friends. And then... Job replies to the Lord, Job 42.1. Then Job replied to the Lord. He said this, I know, I know that you can do anything and no plan of yours can be thwarted. Like, God, your, your plans, your purposes, they will prevail. You asked, who is this who conceals my counsel with ignorance? This was God's question to him. Like, who is talking like they know what's really going on here? Who's talking like they have all the answers? And then he, he, he states, surely I spoke about things I did not understand. Things too wondrous for me to know. What this is, this is a statement of, of real humility. Job just takes his place before the Lord and just acknowledges God. I, I'm talking like I know more than I really do. These are things on your level. Job goes on, you said, he said to God, you said, listen now and I will speak. When I question you, you will inform me. Then he states, I had heard reports about you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I reject my words and I'm sorry for them. I am dust and ashes. I'm not saying that this response from Job wouldn't have been difficult. I mean, I can't imagine. He would have still been in extreme pain over his loss. But here he is, in humility, surrendering to God's plan. He didn't throw in the towel And he acknowledged, God, you are in control. I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to get resentful. I'm not going to get bitter. I'm not going to walk away. I'm not throwing away my integrity. What we learn from Job is, wow, even in the most painful, tragic circumstances, even when life does not make sense, we can still trust him. And then here's what happens. God, over time, put Job's life back together. So verse 10, after Job had prayed for his friends, you know, he repents and says those words to God, and then he prays for his friends, says the Lord restored his fortunes and doubled his previous possessions. Verse 11, all his brothers, sisters, and former acquaintances came to him and dined with him in his house. They sympathized with him, and they comforted him concerning all the adversity the Lord had brought on him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold earring. Verse 12, so the Lord blessed the last part of Job's life more than the first. He owned 14,000 sheep and goats, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. He named his first daughter Jemima his second, Kaziah, and his third Karen Hapuk. No women as beautiful as Job's daughters could be found in all the land. And their father granted them an inheritance with their brothers. And Job lived 140 years after this and saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And then Job died, old and full of days. God restored this man. Now, you know, we, we can't speak to the pain, the enduring pain, the ongoing pain that he walked through, but Job held on to his integrity and he held on to his faith. And that's a very, very important lesson. Now here's one here's a fourth area of a possible response when trouble strikes. It's it's to light up this dark world. When you're watching Somebody going through a difficult time, you can light up the darkness. You can you can you can be a help. You can be uh, in tangible ways or through your presence. You can be a help. Uh, John chapter one verses four and five it states this: In him was life, speaking of Jesus, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. When Jesus came and stepped foot on the planet, and he walked amongst men, he brought light. He brought the light that sort of illuminated and brought life to people. Everywhere he went, he was he was lifting countenances. He was caring for people. He brought hope. So I want to encourage you to ask yourself, how can I light up this dark world that I'm living in? There is a lot of trouble. There is a lot of pain. There is a lot of suffering. And I want to encourage you, don't retreat. Move, Move towards, even move towards the mess as you see it. Move towards it. Jesus's model for us is really the correct way to respond to pain. He gave us the model. It's called the incarnational model. You don't, you don't just observe it. No, you step towards it. This is what Jesus did. He came to be with us, and so we can light up this dark world that we're living in. Some specific, some specific ways we can do that: uh, gratitude over grumbling. There are people in your life, friendships, family, coworkers, core friends that you've got. Uh, you can just set an example. Choose gratitude. It stands out. Look at what Philippians two fourteen says: Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and depraved, or and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world. So choose gratitude. It stands out. It's like bright, bright stars up against a black sky. It stands out when you choose gratitude. When everyone else is grumbling, that's one way you can, you can, uh, light up. Uh, the environment you're in. Second, serve rather than demand. Whether at home, work, or church, Jesus said the greatest among you will be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will over time be exalted. This is how God works. It's, he works through serving rather than demanding. Finally, sitting p- with people in their pain. This is one way you can be a light in the darkness, in the trouble, in the pain. You can just sit with people in their pain. So in Job 2, we see Job's friends coming to visit with him. Uh, they'd heard the news, and they came and they sat with him. And I want you to, to hear what it says, Job 2.11. Now when Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Nam, Namathite, heard about all this adversity that had happened to him, each of them came from his home. They met together to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. So these are, these are good friends. They're going to go and comfort Job when they looked from a distance they could barely recognize him you know he's sitting in the dirt it says they wept aloud and each man tore his robe and threw dust into the air and on his head they joined him in his pain and then they sat on the ground with him 7 days and nights but no one spoke a word to him because they saw that his suffering was very intense you know job's friends do everything right <laughs> up to this point you know they're 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 spending time just sitting there they're just being present it's not the time to open their mouths. It's not the time to say anything. Uh after a week though, they start to talk. He starts to talk, Job opens up and his friends begin to respond. And then things go downhill because the friends begin to try to fix the situation and accuse or or uh, suggest and and so but what I would say though that we learn from Job's friends is you know, they spent the first week just sitting with their friend in his pain. And I think there's a lot to be learned from that. You know, whatever you see people wrestling through, don't don't let the darkness put out your light. You know, God has given you hope and and He wants to use you to light up this dark world. Next week what we're gonna do what we're gonna do is we're gonna wrestle with the question, why do good things happen to bad people? Like that doesn't make sense that this person who lives a horrible life is getting all the good stuff in life, it appears. So we're gonna look at that as we continue to sort of wrestle through this issue of trouble. So uh, some next steps. The first is this. Would you consider choosing one of those ways to light up this dark world? Get specific. Look at that list there that we covered and and maybe jot down a way you can do that this week. Second thing, read the whole story of Job. 42 chapters. Read it or listen to it and then just list out the questions that you have. Then last, ask God to show you what he's doing through the recent trouble in your life. You know, whenever you hit trouble, if you don't stop and process and turn to God, uh, my sense is we probably miss a whole lot. But God actually uses trouble to shape us, to refine us, uh, to, to, to purify some things in us, to test us. And so he will not waste trouble. And so uh, I hope that this has been helpful for you. And I'd like to pray as we wrap up. Thanks for joining us today. Let's pray. Father, right now, uh, most of us are not strangers to trouble. We look around and over here and over there, and it's just, we see so much trouble. We turn on the the news, we see more trouble. We we look at the news feed, we see more trouble. And God, we uh, we thank you, Lord, for your word. That as we study your word, as we understand uh, your timeless principles and truths, Lord, you're equipping us, you're preparing us to know how to navigate and walk through this life. Yes, it's full of trouble. Yes, there's a lot of pain. Yes, we can't escape it all. But Lord, uh, you want to uh, use it for good in our lives. If we'll trust you. And, Father, you want us to uh, step towards people who are, who are dealing with difficult things. Help us to remember them right now. We lift them up to you, those people in our lives who are, who are wrestling through difficulty, wrestling through sickness, wrestling through job loss, wrestling through hurt and pain. Lord, Father, would you bring them comfort, and would you use us, God, uh, to be lights in this dark world? We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at occathome.com to learn more about how to connect with us and join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast. Have a great day.